0: very first light, Chief, sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, was kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man. That man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red. In spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they... Rip you to pieces.
1: Hello there and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And
2: I'm Mario Ponzio and we are filming, recording live from the Pivotal Film oven. Yeah. We have central air in here and it does not get up to the second, the 150th floor. My
1: mind keeps convincing itself that it feels something, but I know that I don't feel anything. Really? I just know it. But I'm I'm okay with it. I don't really mind being hot. So, it's just going to be steamy. I wonder if they'll be able to hear it. The steam. (laughs) Mario's is
2: rusted. I just I want the sound of like the sweat pouring down my head to make this. No, it
1: has that like sizzle. It's just like that. We're cooking, under under the under the
2: vast dome
1: of the the pivotal film. Broiling, not boiling. Studios broiling.
2: I I realized recently, by the way, that a long time ago, I got food poisoning from making shrimp. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why I was craving shrimp. I used to like barbecue shrimp, and I wanted to make something similar Ugh, to that. Jesus. Um, didn't have a barbecue. This is in college. Uh-huh. I read a recipe, and <laughs> it said to broil it to get an oven-based, like sort of recipe, oven like an oven sort of style baking. Nineteen-year-old um, Mario mistook broil for boil. So you just put it in a pot. So I boiled shrimp in a pot for about five minutes because it said broil it for five minutes. Apparently five minutes isn't long enough to boil shrimp. To boil shrimp. It, they, they were still gray, but I mm. thought that's how they looked when they were boiled. Mm-hmm. So I then ate them. And just a bowl. Just a bowl of shrimp. <laughs> um, then I got food poisoning.
1: What were you watching when you uh, ate the, the bowl of shrimp? Do you remember it? Is there um, a movie on this list that's on there because of the bowl of shrimp fiasco? No, yes, there's not, but there should be, right? I I mm-hmm. think so. It's such a such a profound image. You just sitting with a bowl of gray shrimp. Yeah, it's a <laughs> bowl pretty of
0: gray shrimp.
1: It's a pretty sad, sad image. <sighs> so,
2: Mario, can you explain
1: well, what we're drinking here oh, today? Oh,
2: I, was, I was gonna do a segue there.
1: Oh, so sorry, segue. I was gonna say, we here
2: at Pivotal Film try to be a pretty inclusive podcast. Mm-hmm. We're pretty ideologically exclusive at times, but to, to an extent. For example. If you support the Southern abortion bills or detention of immigrants, you really don't have a place in this podcast. But for the most part, besides that, or if you don't think Trump's a racist. Besides that (laughs) ideologically even if you're fiscally conservative or somewhat ideologically conservative, there's okay with fiscal conservatives. I mean, I'm not, but I'm okay with listening
1: to them talk. Like, yeah, yeah. I disagree You may not be a bad person if you're just yeah. a fiscal conservative.
2: Like, we, we have the three tenements of, of you're a bad person set out. And just we'll add to it. them. We'll add to them, probably, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but there's one thing we're not, haven't been inclusive on for our under 21 or our. Um, That's true. Or our non drinking listeners. Right. All zero of them, I assume. And uh, in celebration of Dry July, which is not a thing, but it's something I made up, <laughs> um, today we are drinking, and next week we are going to be drinking non-alcoholic root beers. Root beer! Local root beers and birch beer. As local as we can, I mean... We're not y- drinking non-alcoholic beer. Because even though Athletic Brewing Company makes a pretty okay .5% beer, we mm-hmm. just seem fun to do
1: root beer. A root no, beer. I like I like soda. I'm a soda yeah. guy. I got my figure through soda. A lot of, a lot of soda I got my so. figure from powerlifting. There you go. And nachos. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is Saranac. Um, it's out of Utica, New York. I like Saranac's beer. Yeah.
2: Oh, this is a beer company. Yeah,
1: um, they do they do pretty workmanlike but tasty, tasty brews. Um, IPAs. So, uh, so I have a I have a koozie for this. It's so white, and I'm
2: using it as like a a Southern man's napkin. Is it working? I feel like a fat
1: southern judge who just <laughs> suppressed women's rights again that's what we're doing um, but yes apparently this is uh, it, I declare it won best root beer at the 2017 US Open Beer Championship um, here let's let's dig these together and then pretend wait the one that's in Colorado I don't
2: know it just says why is there why is there why is there why is there, uh, why is there root beer competitions
1: in a beer comp championship it's beer Mario beer but this is from 1888 well, the beer is not from 1888, and and the recipe that is an defin- 1888 root beer. The defin- the recipe handcrafted
2: again. soft drinks featuring high fructose corn syrup. You gotta love it. And yeah. cara- handcrafted recipe, featuring filtered water. Okay, high fructose corn syrup, caramel color, sodium benzoate. Well, I, mean, I guess that's fine. Natural and artificial flavors and citric acid. Yeah, sounds like a, sounds like something your grandma made.
1: Uh huh. I mean, it's very sweet. Mm. It's a very, very sweet root beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan beer. of
2: sweet root beers. The root beers we're going to have in the next episode much less sweet. Mm. Um, but this is a good... Maybe not. No, this would be a good kind of float. It would be a good float one. It would be a good float one. Because it has a creaminess to it. it but a, it's very sweet. I guess there's a creaminess to it. I imagine Saranax Cream Soda is probably pretty good. Mm. Why don't you bring the cream soda? Because
1: we're doing beer. Root beer. No, I did Oh, that's true. Well,
2: I did. I also bought a birch beer for the night. I was
1: gonna get a ginger beer, but they didn't have anything local at the liquor store. Oh, I love ginger beer. So
2: ginger beer is delicious.
1: Yeah, but they just had.
2: Although we still have rum, so I would have probably ginger beer rum. Just adding.
1: (laughs) That's on Dry July. That's just every day. This is regular day July.
2: I mean, I might have to try that at some point.
1: Now that he's thinking about it,
2: birch <laughs> beer and rum might be alright. I know, just like one of these root and like a little bit of rum, we'll see. Um, it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, had, a, had a list episode or had a review of mm. anything new. I mean, we had High Life last week, yeah. um, which is fairly new, but nothing new in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie is not so new anymore. It's been out two weeks. A couple weeks. As, yeah. of this, as of this uh, release. Yeah. Um, Tom, the movie we were talking about, is the sophomore f- feature of a man who's younger than me.
1: Yeah, Ari Aster. I actually thought he was um, a lot younger than you, but um, apparently he's not. He's, he's only a, a month yeah. and... F- um,
2: yeah, happy birthday! I don't know what date. I don't know what date that's going to be. As of today, it's July sixteenth. So happy birthday yesterday, Ari Aster. <laughs> Figure out the date from Saturday.
1: Um, so yeah, it's the follow-up to Hereditary. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna pronounce it. The way that I've heard a lot of other people pronounce it, which is, Mid-Somar. So we're just gonna ignore the bed. It's a bear, dude. Of all the things to let me sleep through.
2: This sounds fun. Or has I like to pronounce it? Or has it heard it pronounced? Yeah, that
1: works. That also works. It's going to make the... That point. man was
2: also choking on an olive. said it, so there might be a little bit of a connection there.
1: Yeah. Um, Mitsumar Is the tale of what? Is the tale of the story <laughs> of um, Danny... She's got a boyfriend named Christian, who she th- is, thinks she's overbearing to, and he also thinks she's overbearing, and all of his friends think she's overbearing. And then her sister kills herself and her their parents um, in a really interesting, um, an elaborate murder suicide. Yeah, where she very... runs really weird hoses, like really look expensive looking hoses from the car the cars in the garage up into the house and then onto her under under <laughs> her face um which, which i guess is, isn't funny it was just horrible but um but that's still, what she does fantastically elaborate yes fantastically elaborate good
2: scene though good shot like good wells shot it scene. was
1: yeah um this incident corresponds with um one of with christian and his friends um josh pele and mark played by the astounding Will Poulter who finds who finds all the things inside of his character Mark. Um are are going to Sweden to take part in a uh, a uh, uh, Midsumar ritual um week um in Pele's village. Um they go with him. And it turns out that uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens at this Midsummer celebration. There's some. There's some ritualized suicides. There's some um, sacrifices. There's weird books made by children of incest.
2: There's a bear in a cage. There's a bear in a cage. Did you see that A twenty four video of bear in the cage song? No. Like when they were they released like two hundred and fifty bear in the
1: cage little toys. Oh really. Pretty fun, I feel like it's I heard TV. that, but I feel like I didn't know that there was a song that, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's
2: pretty fun. A24 knows how to like do this fun, weird marketing stuff.
1: I mean, A24 knows how to do fun, weird movies, um, but they, yeah, that sometimes it's, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> not, with not with alliterative I mean, directors, one but. thing, I guess, one thing leads to another, and which is, I think, another thing we always say. And Danny gets crowned the May Queen. Um, there is a Shirley Jackson lottery-esque sacrifice scene for no reason whatsoever, um, and then she has to, and then on top of that, she has to pick someone else to get sacrificed. She picks Christian, who was recently drugged and forced into having sex with a a, a member of the town to kind of keep the 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 population of the town going. Um, he gets picked. He gets sewn inside the. A bear. Spoiler alert. And uh, burned alive-ish. Broiled, yeah. Broiled. And um, broiled. Probably broiled alive. Not boiled. And then she's. And then Danny smiles. And then uh, we cut to black. It's a movie. Um. Well, you saw this yesterday. Let's 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 hear the let's hear the Mario. <sighs> no, I want to. I want to actually hear you first. I, I don't. Worst. Okay. Let's, let's hear you first.
2: <laughs> I just. Uh... This is my thing about Ari Oster, Is is I just don't care for his films. Um, they're they're interesting to look at. He's a great. Right. He's a really solid director. He knows how to direct his actors. He knows how to compose really interesting shots. Mm-hmm. He knows how to put together the stories he's created. The stories he's created suck.
1: Yeah, I think so. I was thinking about this on the way over here, and I made a I made a note that I, I like just kind of said it in my head over and over and over again until I, I could. So I made sure I didn't forget it. Um, I am of two very distinct, but I guess ultimately um, similar minds about this movie. On one hand, um, I think I really I, I really like it. Um, from the the perspective that you just laid out, from the visual perspective, from um, the acting perspective, from like a general production design idea ish kind of perspective. I don't really like it from an uh like an emotional like perspective. I think the thing that i was i think the thing I kept bumping up against was there were moments in this movie where I actually felt very moved, but the movie seemed to want me to not be moved and to be disgusted with something instead, and so I was not like I was not allowed to feel my feelings because Ari Aster was trying to direct my feelings to be something very specific, which is the words I mean everyone's using the words like depraved and like amoral and like cruel. And I'm just like, where? Yeah, this like is like what what is I, depraved yeah. about this movie? I was also
2: shocked by how like unviolent I felt assault I in the end. Like a lot of the violence is, is semi obscured and like for how like depraved they said it would be, it's yeah. it's very restrained.
1: Well we don't get to see I mean, what we see a partial or we don't get to see four main characters die. Yeah. I feel like that's something that we want to see. You know what I mean? That really
2: would at least add to the depravity
1: of, of what you're seeing. No, we don't even get to, we don't get to see five main characters die. Because we could argue that you don't get to see Christian die. You just get him so, to see him sewn up into bear. And who cares about that? Yeah. Who, who cares if he got sewn up the into bear, a bear? The bear probably...
2: Bear, if asked I beforehand, guess. probably would have been like, I'm on a fucking Yeah. Universe. Yeah, Don't start fours. I mean, for one thing, it's a bear... So automatically, it doesn't like fires. Because that could spread anywhere near a forest.
1: Right, and are the
2: bear itself probably didn't yep. want to be lit on fire.
1: I mean, so I will... That's
2: a smoke of the Bear reference.
1: That's true, but the bear was probably dead before...
2: Yeah, but, but if the bear knew what was coming... Or do
1: you think, with Christian inside the bear, the bear comes back to life? Because they probably didn't cut his brain out, right? Do you think they cut his brain out? The bear's brain out? I feel like I want to know what happened to those bear's guts. I want to see that stuff. I and mean, the bear... So my problem is that we can just we could just do pair jokes all day. I mean my problem is that like there's a bunch of weird emotional um I'm okay with I'm very okay with narrative loose ends. You know what I mean that you, yeah. you don't know what happens blah blah blah.
2: I'm okay. I okay. mean are you <laughs> like after after listening to the 1993 action movies there's a lot of like questions about like the logic of things.
1: No no, logic is That's fine. But because those are ridiculous. Nobody really cares. So we're just having fun debating the logic of of Demolition Man or anything like that. But this is a movie that wants to be taken seriously. Um, So narratively, I don't really care about, like, you know, story, loose ends, whatever. Um, I do have a problem generally in movies with, like, emotional loose ends. So the one that kind of jumps to me um, when I was watching it was, like... So they see that ritual suicide where the two old people, they decide to take their own lives instead of getting yeah. old. Yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a fascinating scene. You know, yeah. you get to, you get to see him come all the way down, then they do that kind of ritual head crushing, and it's, it's cool. Um, it looks good. It feels kind of, you know, you don't feel awesome watching it. Um, it's well It's well done. Afterwards, Danny has this Kind of breakdown where I'm assuming she's linking um, the idea that like people are choosing to die to like what just happened to her sister and like her parents you know what I mean i'm gonna assume that although we're never kind of given that information the way that Ari Aster kind of does those shots though is that he's linking I feel like he's linking that emotion to the end of the movie where she's choosing to kill Christian instead of that other person, right? I'm not sure how one thing leads to another thing emotionally. I'm not sure how all of the... Th- I'm not sure how the the feelings of her parents and her... Si- like feelings about her parents and her sister relate to what Pele is saying to her about, like, not being held. Because that seems like just a Christian thing. You know what I mean? So... I'm not sure how all of these things stack up to make her, like, you know, as the May Queen, like, happy to have just killed Christian. I don't care if she kills Christian. Christian sucks. But I'm not... I don't buy, like, the emotional arc that gets her
2: there. I guess I kind of bought it, uh, I just think it's weak in the sense that, you know, even if, like, from the very beginning she she has, like, deep anxiety and it just worsens with everything else going on. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, Typically, like one of the prevalent things of anxiety is that total loss of control, that total loss of of what would come, what will be, a loss of structure. Um, and this provides her. And I think, like, the, the the attempt at this feels like this is structure for her. Oh, I, I get that. But and I'm like, not... I don't think she's laughing so much at, like, ha ha ha, I'm killing Christians. More like that is her fully giving up her old life sure, sure, sure. and accepting now the structure. I'm totally. Knowing now when she's going right. to die at 72.
1: I'm totally. Knowing
2: that she's like, in this world that is very delineated by what they do, what they have to do, what happens year to year, what happens every 90 mm-hmm. years. You know, there's no need to anymore have this anxiety. There's no need to have this fear of the unexpected. It is deline- defined.
1: Right. So my problem is that there's – um, he's drawing parallel conclusions to that – he's drawing parallel conclusions to – or two, he's suggesting that there's two things, facts of her life that are moving on parallel tracks and at some point they meet together with this kind of ending thing and that's her relationship with Christian and then this thing that happened with her parents and that they're equally, the trauma is somehow equal and has somehow kind of blended into this like freeing feeling of like I'm totally in control of my I, experience now. I never got like that, that it was an even thing. I, 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 but I don't see the point of, I, I understand that she needs to get to a place where she's destroyed but, like, I feel like it plays better if she's. I don't think she has to be destroyed to be. Like, if he's just gaslighting her and stuff like that, if he's. If that relationship is really fraught beyond, like, I think you need me too much, and I think I need you too much, and you think. I need you too much, and I don't want to do this, but I kind of want to do this, and like oh, that kind of back and forth, which is all their relationship is. The relationship is not a big deal, and they're both young enough where they seem like if they just ended it, they would both be fine. You know what I mean? She would be in a vulnerable place because her family just died, but I, you know, Christian, from a relationship standpoint, is not going to give her anything that like somebody else just couldn't give her. So apparently, she has zero friends other than Christian. She's just alone in this room for her I mean, whole life. Chris
2: Pine seemed to be pretty into her before. That's true. That's true. He liked her a lot. He's all about that. He, he he tried to get back to her in every way. Um, and then they didn't man even really know each other very Kirk. well. Yeah, that guy is Kirk.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's there's stuff like that in this movie that kind of that prevent me from feeling it, like really attached to it. And that's
2: maybe... that's my problem with this. My problem with this. I think my biggest problem, and maybe it's just overwrought expectations, but so many people are calling this such a good like horror film to deal with like. Mental illness and like emotional, emotionally rot and like feelings and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's not, and like I don't think it, it is. It feels like somewhat emulating, and this is my <sighs> biggest problem: like Nicholas Rogue, mm. and like everything Ari Aster does, and even like Hereditary, just feels like he's really trying to be Nicholas Rogue. Mm. Like, Don't Look Now is effortless in how well it conveys, Boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. like psychological trauma with a horror. Uh huh. You know, it's it's effortless, and even some even like uh, more minor horror movies, like even something like Jacob's Ladder, or um, the, the Canadian horror movies called Session Nine, do like this yeah, decently yeah. pretty, like you know, amateur in many ways, well, and, and, movie... and still flawed. But like they they're they're doing it because they present horror and they present that emotion. Less as this kind of like major idealized thing. Instead of focusing so much on the story, right? On on, on driving a narrative and focusing on your characters, but Ari Aster does. They focus on tense emotions and horror. As a huge proponent of horror, huge fan of horror, horror works has a visceral thing. Mm. It has something that is if it's going to tell a, a more you know nuanced and um faceted message, it's got to do that through the way it presents the image, through, you know, the viscerality, through the tension, through, you know, right. you, okay. you present it in a way that is not, br- I don't want to say brutal because that makes me, sure, sure. no, but like very brutish, very muscly. Well with we- Mandy, for example. Yeah. Like this well, movie that tries to fucking be Mandy. Right. I was like, say Mandy does
1: everything that's happening here better.
2: Yeah, but like, you
1: know, and you could talk about the drug
2: images from Mandy, but that's not necessarily the truth. I think Mandy kind of like goes over the deep end has an expression of of anger. Mm. You know, Panas Cosmato's, like really dives into that. Has, you know, um Nicolas Cage's, I can't remember the name off top said it right now, uh Nicholas Cage's character kind of like dwells into that anger you get that that scene he of him on the toilet down, yeah and you know you, you get that that first step of grief of just wrath and rage and mm-hmm. that's expressed through how this red everything well, is after and that. we
1: talked a couple weeks ago when we, were, when we were doing the claire denis episode we talked about like martyrs a little bit you know what i mean where like the the horror of it is an emotional that is an yeah. emotional like fucking horror show um and he doesn't He doesn't get that here because he keeps trying to dip his... He keeps trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He wants it to be, like, emotional, but he also wants it to be, like, well, look at this set piece I created. Yeah, and he also and wants like, it to what? be, okay, like... Yeah. He also
2: wants to create, like, Oscar performances. And it's, like, you're not going to get that
1: in, in Well, heart. it's Well, like the, like, the, the like, best yeah, performance is Will Pulder, and he did it he's just fucking, by being a
2: dick. Yeah, and he's just... He's living the genre. You know, like, he's a character that kind of feels like a somewhat oh, realized character who's, like, actually still, like, the... Dick waving kind of
1: well to that point. Frat boys, I, boy I feel like if so because I feel like we're constantly being sh- told by Ariostra like, like, um, "Look how messed up this is." You know what I mean? Between like the the um, the paintings and like the images that we kind of keep seeing that are that are weird. Between like the music and all this other stuff. Um. I think he sides with the Americans. I think we're supposed to find this messed up, but I think where he makes a mistake which i've heard, I listened to a podcast with him talking about it, and he they talked about how the anthropology aspect of this kind of makes this movie work. I actually think it makes this movie not work because you're if you're um empathic to this community because it's that it's what they do you know what I mean they're killing people that obviously have no idea that they're supposed to be killed nevertheless he sets it up that like this is a community they have their own rituals they're like set apart from whatever blah 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 blah. for me i was just kind of like okay like this uh, is what they're gonna do but all the that would would have been pretty great
2: if like halfway through the movie the swedish police showed up and like what the fuck (laughs) what
1: are you doing
2: you can't do this
1: um but like for me did you just
2: crush that man's head while making fun of his broken body, it's part of that a, is illegal. It's part of a ceremony. Listen, re accepted Pootie pie, <laughs> and shitty IKEA meatballs, but this is too far, guys. Too far. We have a tourist board and everything.
1: <laughs> you can't put pubes in people's pies. This is going. This
2: is really going to ruin our world we happiness look index we have rating. A, we have
1: a we have a quilt that shows exactly what's happening here. Do you see it? Is that a homemade quilt? <laughs> Are you guys going to outsource that? Do you guys have a license to be outsourcing yeah.
2: quilts? That's like that's like the ritual murders. Beside, have you guys been selling these? Have <laughs> you know, we sold a couple? Not paying taxes? No. Right. Really? I'm gonna make some calls. I really want to see Midsummer just become a, a tense Swedish political drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be...
1: Get Paul yeah. Greengrass in, you know? Oh, after the 22 awesome. July. Um, my, I mean, the thing that I kept thinking about was. Kind of something like related to what like you said before about like how like seems like Nicholas Rogue. Um, there's just the, there's all these. I'm okay with like things. I'm under. I understand that horror is in a way derivative of other horror. Horror is just derivative. You could just say it is derivative. If you're gonna do it, and we're gonna talk about a, a movie next week, um, that kind of goes in this direction. Um, you gotta you gotta do it you got to do well. You know what I mean? If you're going to be derivative, you have to be not be so derivative that it's obvious. I mean, like, I hate to break it to Ari Aster, but, like, you know, people have seen the Holy Mountain. We know what the Holy Mountain looks like. There are a lot of triangles. And there are a lot of ritualized symmetry. Yeah. And a lot of symbolic images painted on walls that represent things that are happening. There's a lot of flayed animals. Um, you know, there's a lot of religious surrealism. We get it. Like, people have seen this stuff. I don't know if he knows that there was a movie that just came out called Get Out. It's fairly popular, and in that movie, someone baited—people get baited to go to this ceremony where they are taken by like other people. You know what I mean? We've. Or seen... it's happened like forever in other. In other movies. things, but like it just happened. Hostel. It just happened. Yeah. In a movie Ari like, Oscar, you ripped off an Academy off
2: Eli Roth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There you go. Um, like.
2: I'm gonna say that Ari Aster is kind of like the Eli Roth of, of this
1: just just, decade. I just think, the thing; he makes That's movies right. that are so beautiful. Come at me! Yeah, oh, he's sorry. better than Eli Roth. Um, he How makes movies that are you? so beautiful to look at, but then there's just there's just they're weirdly empty, and I've just felt empty watching it. And I could I could go watch it again because like some of the shots are so compelling. Is there that any? I want is there any forget. little
2: kids playing soccer with a head? No. Eli Roth wins that one. Which they probably off. should be.
1: That's Sweden, right? Yeah, they probably should. Yeah,
2: I know. That's a bummer. Also, Ari don't forget this. But your movie got eighty two percent Rotten Tomatoes, and Alexander asia has got eighty seven. That
1: just makes me happy. That's because everyone knows what Alexander Asia's movie is supposed to be, and that's and that's
2: what uh, like having seen Crawler. It's not going to like really review it, but like like watching these in the same span of time, it's just like this is what I want a, a creature horror movie to be, and like. Yeah, I'm I'm great with like subverting expectations or like doing something more interesting. I love Mandy and Mandy's basically a horror revenge movie. Yeah. Uh the movie that I'm on my list next week is kind of a horror movie mm-hmm. um in some ways. Like if it, <laughs>
1: it is kind of a horror movie.
2: Uh, there's movies higher up on my list that subvert horror genres but like still lean into how derivative they are and just do it extremely well. Mm-hmm. And Krowl like didn't do it extremely well but it does it really fun. And it's, and it's aware of what it's fun. doing
1: and it announces I mean, it, probably that it's
2: like... It, it, it's, it's, it's still serious about it. Like it's still kind of like Ooh, Barry Peppers in it. Yeah. But I mean, it's could... still, it still like doesn't... It, but it tries, it tries to be fun. You know it's the hurricane heist of, of, uh, of 2019 so far. Um,
1: Which you're happy to have.
2: Yeah. Apparently movies with hurricanes. People like them. Are pretty, pretty solid and on the Mario list. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then seeing this is just like, I'm okay with a horror movie taking it itself seriously. But if you take self, yourself seriously, know what you're doing in horror. Mm. Um, you know, don't, don't try to, like you said, have your cake and eat it too. Don't try to, you know, create these. Don't try to sell your thing on the story. And, and that's the problem. I think Ari Aster just needs to not write his movies anymore. Or maybe just not do horror anymore. Um, maybe, he was, maybe he'd was maybe he be better in a different genre. Like, he could probably make his shit work in a sci-fi film.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, well, I think but just, goes, it's just it's not going to work in horror. On the Have
1: Your Cake and Eat it Two thing, like, if he's going to show us... If he's going to show us, like, The Ritual of Suicide, he's going to show us them smashing that guy's head with, a, head with a hammer, why don't they just show us them skinning Will Poulter? Why do we care? Like... Just show it. If you're gonna show one thing, just show all the things. You like how I'm doing horror movie gatekeeping right now, though. That's pretty great. Someone's gotta do it. Yeah. Someone's gonna fuck it, <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Anything else? No. I would. A, I would recommend you. Yeah. See, if If you can do it's it, it's good if, to look at. I recommend seeing it. It's an interesting. There's plenty of things nice to look at. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's just. It's going to leave you It's visually solid. It it's got it just leaves me kind of cold. And I yeah. don't want it to leave me cold because I felt there was lots of opportunities for it to do the opposite. And I feel a little like I feel a little weirdly unsatisfied like with my experience. And it wasn't an ex- it wasn't experience.
2: Yeah, it's much better than hereditary. Much better than hereditary. Much
1: better than hereditary. hereditary,
2: better than hereditary. Um like, I would even suggest anybody see Hereditary. That's just. I a- mean,
1: I have a lot of thoughts that I, we haven't even talked about because I'm going to stop this in ten seconds. But, like, about the, in, the inbreeding and, like, the fact that, like, the inbred child is, like, writing all of their stuff. There's a lot of shit that I have questions about there that they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, the, the inbreds, the inbred, the products of the inbred write all of our, our texts. End Wh- of idea. Why? Why? End of end of idea. Moving
2: on. <laughs> and speaking of moving on, I think we've kind of said enough about this movie. Yes. Um, let's move on with our lists.
1: We'll be right back with our number fifty fives. We didn't tell say we were at number fifty five at the beginning of this episode, did we? Wow, it's so hot. It is very hot. <laughs> and the root beer is drying out my mouth.
2: <laughs> it's all terrible. <laughs> Well this time Tom can't ruin it with the spoiler. His spoiler before he gets to it. Like a real dick. You know, I usually is. I usually assume you spoil stuff and you're just a prick to me because you're you've been drinking. What? And now you just you've had one root beer, probably all
1: caffeinated up. It's caffeine. Stomach. They got caffeine. Can I be honest with you? I feel like I'm I'm going through waves of feeling like I should be drunk because like yeah. We normally are like two beers in, especially if it's this hot. We would be like all okay. the way into like a second beer, and I think so. We're not. We're usually like I'm usually I'm starting my
2: second beer around this point. I don't know. Um, I'm a big fan of Steven Spielberg, and I usually have a follow up a story for this. I don't really have a story for this one. This is uh my number fifty five is Steven Spielberg's second film, his first uh, major feature. 1975's uh, shark versus evil human movie.
0: There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him Jaws.
2: Off the coast of a quaint New England summer town, a shark is operating by its natural biological function to sustain upon food. And luckily... The season seems to be just the bow diggins full of food. It's minding its business. Finding its prey. Then suddenly it sees a boat. Trafficked by three angry men throwing just weird tubs at it. They can't even probably see those tubs because I'm pretty sure sharks are colorblind. Mm. It's just... and the shark seeing a new food source, maybe thinking he can fill his belly and then maybe find a mate and have a fun life. Uh-huh. Tacks these, these, these men, trying to, get, trying to eat him, and thinks he notices one of them. He, he's heard stories from his grandfather about the one that got away, and he thinks this might be that guy. Oh. He gets him. and He's really proud of himself in that moment. He, he has avenged his grandfather's greatest miss. And then he, he accidentally bites a tube, which he thinks might be a mint. He's heard of these mints that these, uh, these human prey have. Uh-huh. And then he just gets blown up yep. by this motherfucker mm-hmm. wearing short shorts. Who He's not could- wearing short shorts then, but he wears short shorts in the sequel, and they are, they are great. Roy Schneider's legs look awesome in Jaws, too. Good job, Roy.
1: <laughs> I'm happy for Roy Schneider. He deserved this momentary time as a person that mattered.
2: He had some other stuff going on in his life. Mm-hmm. Like, he was in... He was in Marathon Man. Susan Sorcerer. 2010. He was the, wasn't he the lead in 2010, or was that... Was Lifkow the lead in 2010? No, oh, he was the lead in 2010. John Lifkow was... John Lifkow supported Roy Schneider. Oh! When Quaid is supporting you... Yeah. Then... You know you made it. Yep. Ah. Uh, Jaws is just, just the movie... It's, it's the one of the, the big blockbusters, the few big blockbusters I really watch over and over and mm-hmm. over again and enamored by. I know you call it boring. You're going to call it boring. Spoiler alerts, because you spoil a lot of shit.
1: <laughs> Why? So I'm
2: spoiling your opinion of this, but it's just, it works on all the right beats uh-huh. for me.
1: I don't disagree with you.
2: This, this, this is going to be a hard movie to have a conversation. This is a movie that everyone's seen. I'm not going to talk about the, the fun little trivia of the troubled production, because who fucking cares? Um, but I was so enamored by this that I would eventually read the Peter Benchley book and it is hot fucking garbage. <laughs> that book <laughs> sucks. Yeah, no good. I never read it. Like the, it ends with, with the shark being stabbed a lot, going up to, to, you know, kill Brody mm-hmm. and then just kind of just dies. Mm-hmm. And Hooper's like a real douchebag and like, come on, like, you know, smile, you son of a bitch mm-hmm. blowing up. Much better ending than like a shark going, like, "I'm going to get this fucking sheriff that's being cheated." Oh. <laughs> I mean, if the shark had dialogue, that'd be pretty good. That would be awesome. Um, but this is just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a quintessentially entertaining film, and it's one of those ones that, like, reading about the production's fun. It's—it's it's one of those films where. You know you don't you don't need to talk about some of the stuff that happened with it. You, do, you you're not moved by anything with it, but it's always been fun for me. Yeah. It's it's gory, especially for a PG. You get a nice little leg dropping down in full view with blood coming out of it. You get a kid becoming a fountain blood. You know, you get a shark blowing the fuck up. I remember I was I remember when they instituted the TV ratings, mm-hmm. the TV PG and all that TV yeah. fourteen. Well, and I with- I don't. And I was watching this on TBS, and I'd watched it every year on TBS because they had it on the 4th of July, Mm -hmm. or like January. I think they did it on New Year's Day and and the 4th of July. I was watching it on New Year's Day, but they always edited out when the shark blew up. I'd always seen it on TV. Because it was pretty graphic, apparently. And all of a sudden I see the shark blow up, and I see all the blood and guts, and I'm like, (gasps) oh! Like, that's a a moment. Me and my kids watched the shark blow up this morning. Just on repeat? No, it was was ten just, hour, ten was hour YouTube. For, video I was looking for of clips of to shark.
1: use for the uh, for you know the intro, and um, you know I just a like, guy just came over and we were, like looking at what I was doing. I was watching like this shark. He was like, "Oh, shark!" And I was like, "Yeah, all right, fine." So we just I just showed him like a bunch of clips. Did he get excited when the shark blew up? He didn't mind. Did I, I told know. him I was like, "It was killing people." Did he want to eat
2: that? Did did you he want, to do it? Did he
1: want to eat the shark? after that? No, he did not want to eat the shark. No, so. I wonder
2: how shark meat taste. Never had it. Swordfish is good.
1: Um... I mean, it's a pivotal. I mean, it's funny because my wife asked me last night when I was I was watching it, and she's like, "Why is this on Mario's list?" And I was like, "I was like, I don't, I don't know." I was like, "We don't talk about it ahead of time, so I can't tell you like exactly why it's on this list." I was like, "But it it is kind of like a pivotal film for like film. It's yeah. so significant from a um,
2: cultural standpoint,
1: right? Especially because like of it Spielberg. is the first
2: blockbuster. It is the thing that makes Spielberg. Right. It is,
1: and all those things really it is the matter film a lot."
2: That, like, the emo the, you know the beats of of every sort of creature film that would follow or even action films that would follow where there's like a you know a a a great force versus everyone you know it follows those beats and like like that's that works but it's like this was the first one of those movies I saw
1: well especially because it came like it came out of like that new Hollywood stuff from like the late sixties and the early seventies and then you have you have. Jaws, and then you have Rocky, right? And then you have hmm. Star Wars, and then you have, you know... Neither of those films show up on my list. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Back to the Future, and more Star Wars, and more everything. And like you said a second Jaws movie, and then Jaws 3D, and you know. Um, and it's just kind of like a thing you gotta know about. And I think it's interesting to watch now... It's interesting to watch it, thinking of it as Spielberg's not. It's obviously not his first movie, but his first major movie, and like where he would go after this. Because even like in Jaws, he really likes his backlighting. Like for things that don't need to be backlit, he's just doing it. And but there's still he's Steven Spielberg, so you get that really nice shot of Quint just standing on, you know, that whatever they call it, the balcony or where the barrels are kind of getting getting pulled off of, or where he's gonna, where he's like shooting the harpoon. Yeah. Um. He's just standing there as the sun goes down, like. That's not a thing that you do in a normal shark movie. You know what we're I mean? talk about how really beautiful scenes and 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 normal Hollywood shark. We
2: even talked about how when Ben's head kind of pops out, you know, Spielberg wanted to get that that timing down perfectly, so by his own money, he reshot that in his pool just to get the timing of the shot down. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's always been like a master of timing? Well, not not always. He's he's lost it. But his early movies in the 80s and 90s kind of had that that timing down perfectly of when To reveal and when to show and when to do these moments of just like these like pops.
1: And I feel like my problem with Jaws has always kind of been too that those things aren't. um, It's hard to reconcile like the filmmaking with like some of the aspects of the film, like the stupid aspects of the film. Like the whole reason why there's anyone at a beach to begin with, like to get eaten by a shark because the mayor of Amity doesn't want to close the beach because it's 4th of July and tourists spend a lot of money. It's like, okay, but people just got eaten by a shark. Not a lot of people. There's like hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Or when of people he tells that, that, oh, he tells that old guy to get in the water, and he brings like his whole family into, <laughs> to the water. I was like, what is this about? I love that that dude brings his whole family. <laughs> and it just looks so sad about it. Like, okay. And then everyone's like, oh, okay. maybe, I guess maybe it they're right.
2: se- they're probably said se- He's pr- that man's probably 72.
1: But here's the question, Mario. <laughs> Why a, does it matter? It's Matt, a stupa. They're all there. Right? They're all on the beach. Why does it matter if anyone's in the water?
2: Yeah, I always wondered that, actually. What I was difference like, does it make? Why do they have to get in the water? It's like they're spending money. It's like they're not. Okay, so maybe the boating industry is not going to make as much money that summer. There's no, going to be nobody ba- buying
1: longboards. Maybe. Longboards
2: around back then? Probably not, I assume.
1: I don't know. I didn't see any. But um, that's. I mean, and all that stuff has always clouded my, my feelings about Jaws. And the fact that like I, I really like Steven Spielberg a lot. Um, but he's, he is—he is still Steven Spielberg. So like, I don't like the John Williams score is obviously very famous. But the da, 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 the thing that people I feel like tend to forget—I believe that score is actually
2: <laughs> the
1: high seas buccaneer shanty song that like is playing while they're they're shooting like Jaws and is playing at the end while like oh I love that oh yeah. it's so like. Treakly and it's so like silly. goofy. It's always you know, the goofiest thing in the world. But yeah. I think it works. It the works kind of it how works. silly it is. It's just fun. Even those moments are fun. But I feel like it does, it's not really fun anymore after like Quint just got eaten, and like your boat is sinking. But they're still playing like the high seas adventure song when he's climbing to up that mast because he's got he's he's got to he's got to believe. Well, that's what, he's got to believe. He's got to blow up Bruce. That's what we know now is that Spielberg is never gonna let either of those guys that are still alive on that boat die. It's never gonna happen. I always So we get the high seas adventure song because it's just that bullet that he even though he can't see what the hell he's shooting at, gets just a chaos of white foam at the head of that shark, he gets it. It's a magic
2: bullet. It is. It's gotta be. Yeah. Fired from the grassy knoll. <laughs> um and but there's there's things but there's also that but there was a part of following that I like though, where like just he asks like or Hooper goes quint after that, they're laughing and Brody and Brody's goes like shakes his head. No. He doesn't say no. He just He does say no. No he, No, he just goes like He just like silently closes his head. I think he
1: says no. I'm
2: pretty positive. He just goes. I thought he said no. Well oh, he just silently shakes his head.
1: Alright, well now I'm silently. Yeah. Maybe you didn't even watch
2: this movie. Ever. I did, I watched
1: it last night. I don't think you ever watched this movie. Or maybe he just says,
2: like, ah. He just, like, sings the sound, but I'm almost positive he doesn't say no.
1: Nah, dude.
2: He's like, nah, motherfucker. Got eaten. No dice. And he cried out. That Quint cried out while he was being, he even taken it silently. Ah! And then his mouth explodes. His blood. And that shark's loose teeth bite into it. Vato turned into a fountain of blood, <laughs> as my friend C- Christian Bale would say. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what to what say. Like, he'd be, like. There's a lot of ideas that were made in production of this that they didn't fulfill, which which I always find great. I always always find the idea of keeping the shark obscured, like obviously a lot of that would probably due to reduction, was a great idea. Uh-huh. Like yeah, early yeah. early storyboards had a scene where um, I can't remember where I saw this, but an early storyboard had a scene where the shark leaps out of the water to mm-hmm. bite off a man's head on a boat and That's then awesome. jump back in, which you know. Would have been great, and I think it's later done in Lake Placid to an extent. Uh, mm. A man leans over a boat, and uh, the and the alligator bites um, that out. Or is it that a crocodile in Lake Placid? Can't remember. It's a, a crocogator, I think. Yeah, it's one of those sci-fi so, original monsters. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, and like, but it was going to be a fully revealed shark within like the first third. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that they didn't yeah. do that. You know, like, no, the shark's like really slowly well.
1: revealed throughout the film, especially because by then you don't care that the shark looks weird. So like it looks like a shark, but its teeth are also flopping around in its mouth. Yeah. So like you don't care I mean, it's about that than because in it's Jaws. Been very tense. It's the better whole time.
2: in Jaws too when the shark goes to to eat Hooper's. It's not Hooper. Uh, goes to eat Brody's son, and its jaw literally completely dislocates. And it has gums, it has human gums. <laughs> yeah.
1: like, the teeth are just jammed into human gums. Yeah, I love it. Oh, those
2: those Jaws sequels are, are terrible. <laughs> Except for Jaws Revenge. That's that's a monument of filmmaking.
1: Which one is that? Where, how? When, that's when? Michael
2: Caine. Mario Van Peebles. Oh, yeah! I didn't see that, but I remember Michael Caine was in a Jaws movie. Tremendous. It's a three-time Oscar winner. It won for Best Picture three years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. But, yeah, no, this is just, it is a movie that, that has to be watched.
1: Yeah, you kind of got to see Jaws. I mean, that's the thing. I, think it's, I just think it's just so dull until, like, kind of the end of the movie. Um, until the Indianapolis scene, I, I I'm kind of just like oh my god all right, enough with the everything, um, and then the Indianapolis scene happens and you kind of it ups the stakes a little bit, um, because it's you know we just me and my wife just finished watching Stranger Things and you get that kind of in, oh, I'm sorry it's, it's, it's awful, awful show, but you get um, the uh, like you know everyone's always commenting on like the '80s parenting like the kids can just do whatever they want. And even though Brody knows that there's a shark in the water, because it's the 70s, he still lets his kids go in the fucking water. You know what I mean? And for me, it kind of takes some of, like, the tension out. I was like, why doesn't he care more? Why doesn't he care? But it takes Quint to kind of show the existential kind of weight of what, like, sharks represent. You know what I mean? That they are... um, like it says in the in that trailer like it was you know they're almost seems like they're made by the devil they have the cold black eyes and they just systematically will destroy you you know they're made to what, what whatever um Hooper says like they're made to eat swim and make more sharks like that's and you kind of after Quint like tells his story you get like for the first time the fe- like the full feeling of what that means um and then the whole mo- and then the movie just you get all the shark stuff. Then you get all the awesome shark stuff. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good. It's good enough. It's
2: good. It's good to watch. It's it's uh, I say watch it on Fourth of July weekend. It's perfect for that. Yeah, you, you drink you drink a lot of beers with your friends. Drink some Narragansetts.
1: Then yeah. then you watch Jaws. Drink a Narragansett in a can of Narragansett in one like shot. Just just drink it down. And then raise it after, crush it for Crush quit. it, yeah. After. But don't throw it in the ocean. I like that. They didn't throw any of their stuff in the ocean. They did not. So.
2: Also, one, one little fun thing to end this on. When I was a little kid, um, I'd see another movie that was on my list around the same time mm-hmm. and that, that I loved and that shows up much higher on my list. And I knew that Robert Shaw was in Jaws, but I saw Robert and that it was an old filmmaker, an old actor. Mm-hmm. And I automatically assumed that Robert Shaw was Robert Mitchum. And uh, I was very confused why he looked so different in, in those two movies. And can you imagine me, if... Would that movie it me, be good? No, not as good. Not as good. Not but as he, good? He would, have been too, he would have been less charismatic. I think Robert Shaw would have been less charismatic. Hmm, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, yes, I agree with you that it wouldn't be as good. But it's just funny to think about.
2: And once again, guys,
1: another clue to my list. Bum, 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 bum. Um, all right, so we'll be right back with mine. Is that anything else? No. no Want to no, give no. another clue? No. Do you want to, do you, folks? Do you want to listen to Mario Shake his paper and see if you can discern the placement of? I was, just, I was trying to remember where we in that list. It is. It's somewhere it's Somewhere up there high. It is high up there. No, that's it though. Okay, uh, we will be right back with my fifty-five. Welcome back. <clears throat> um, and my number fifty-five this week um, is another French movie. You, you all just got done listening to me and Mario talk for almost three hours about uh, the films of Claire Denis. We're gonna stay in. We're gonna stay in France. So we're gonna do it a little bit differently. Um, my number fifty-five is uh, Chris Marker's nineteen sixty-two short film. Short science fiction film called La Jetie. Um, Picture book, basically. Kind of. Um, it is told using a, a narration and then largely still photography. So instead of, um, you know, showing this like a normal movie, um, it is just a series of, of pictures, except for one instance, so one really magical instance where. Um, the, the picture moves and um, you almost don't know if it's moving or not it's it's almost like it's playing a trick on your eye because you just watched like 16 minutes um, of still photography just kind of you know you getting the movement from the shifting of the pictures um, and then and then this woman's eyes start fluttering and it seems like you are kind of making it up or you have epilepsy or something um, the movie is 28 minutes long it is, um, And told only it's in black and white um, some very um, stark uh, lighting with the pictures Um, you know Anton Corbin would kind of take pictures like this you know in the 70s and 80s and and, um, I think I've always found this leans a little bit towards um, the French photographer I think he's French uh, Brassai who we'll kind of talk about a little bit Um, but The story that's being told in this very short film, um, is all about memory. Um, I'm going to play, instead of a trailer, because there's not really like a good, I couldn't find like a great trailer for this, I'm just going to play like the very, to set the table for what this movie's about, I'm just going to play the very opening, um, of the movie, like the, the first lines of narration that are told with no pictures, just, um, the French letters, um on the screen.
0: This is the story of a man marked by an image of his childhood. The violent scene which upset him and whose meaning he was to grasp only years later happened on the main pier at Orly, Paris airport, sometime before the outbreak of World War Three.
1: So the story behind me, or I'll go, the story from there, um, is a, is, a, is a science fiction story in that um, this man in a, in a very post-apocalyptic um, setting um, where the only place that you can exist is kind of in the bowels of, of Paris, he gets um, just kind of volunteered to uh, take place in an experiment where they're going to try to send somebody back in time and then possibly into the future to um, acquire materials so that civilization can live again. Um, they save power and medicine and food. Um, he gets, uh, you know, volunteered for this job because, and they don't obviously ever explain how they know this, um, he has a very specific memory in his head. Well, no, they that, do. They, they say they can see dreams. Okay, but I, I didn't know they were monitoring everybody, like, they all over the place. Police. They just all the, they prisoners the they police right, 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 yet. that's right. <laughs> Um, right, he's a prisoner of the pleasure. Right, he said that. Um, He has a very specific memory in his head. It is the memory of he was at a pier when he was a child with his parents, and he saw a woman's face, and he saw a man um, fall to the ground, and that is a that is a memory that is seared in his brain. And we get that beautiful, beautiful image of that woman's face, just still Her no music. Um, Her only film I believe which is I I love when that stuff happens when like you know it's like we don't don't know
2: how good of an actress she really
1: was (sighs) she sells all that she sells all the facial expressions and um, uh, like a lot of the emotions in the still photography Um, he ends up going back um, multiple times and just kind of meeting this woman Um, and it's the, the experiment is deemed a success and they send him into the future and Um, they give the people in the future, the people from the Paris in the future, give him a, like a power supply thing that they can run Paris on for whatever, because they don't want to see, you know, humanity, whatever. And they give him, um, those people, the future people allow him to go to stay with them, but he opts to go back in time, um, to be with the woman. Um, who he's just kind of had this weird relationship with through time travel. Um, and it's at that moment that he realizes that the scene that he saw on the pier that day was his own death. Because there was someone following him through time, and that person um, kills him. And the facial expression of the woman is her reacting to seeing him be killed. Um, the reason that this movie is on a None of that stuff matters to me, in terms of, like, why this movie's on my list. Um, I suppose this doesn't matter to you. I mean, I feel like this movie could have been about anything. Um, and kind of, as long as it's about memory and it's about these kind of ideas, like, the plot of the movie is really kind of inconsequential, right? I mean, are, does it matter that it's World War Three and that it's, you know, all this other stuff? We, we talked about me and time travel stuff, right? Do you like time travel? No, yeah, we
2: I, I, remember, I had that that book it's over there somewhere, probably behind other books of of a short story collection on time travel. Time travel is my shit, so well, I, yeah, I'm always drawn yeah, in. Yeah, time yeah,
0: travel. okay, yeah, maybe we did.
2: A little more free stuff, no, but time travel stuff, well, which plays into the memories. But like so, the, the aspect of it is is mostly about the the idea of memories and, right. and nostalgia and everything.
1: So the reason there's two reasons that this is on my list. One, and this is going to come up next week also the idea of um, f- refinding things and then reconsidering them. So, I saw this, I first saw this movie. This is a Criterion movie. I got it when it came out because I was just so drawn to the description of it and to um, its cover. It has a really beautiful cover, it's packaged with um, uh, Chris Marker's documentary from 1980. Three, um, called Sans Soleil, um, which I also it's which is fine. But there's another movie on my list that we're going to talk about much later that does everything that Sans Soleil does times a million. Um, that blows my fucking mind. So Sans Soleil is fine. It's just not my this is not my gym. Um, but there's aspects. I was blown away by this movie when I saw it. So much so that we're going to talk about something um, how I was blown away by it in a little bit. um But I just wanted to talk about the idea of memory in that, the idea of reconsidering things. So I I saw this movie, like I said, in 2007, got the DVD when it came out, Um, blew my mind. Um, I kind of just put it away in my head until um, something happened after that, which, you know, is a pivotal thing, and and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, But after, like, 2007, 2008, I just kind of put it away in my brain, and then... Um, just left it there. And and then in 2000 and I want to say 16, when I was back in school, I was taking an um, advanced composition class and one of the things we had to do was um, read John Berger's Ways of Seeing and watch John Berger's Ways of Seeing. You ever watch Ways of Seeing? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a special. It's like a book, and then like a television special from the '70s by this like art critic, novelist, all-around amazing guy, um, John Berger, um, and he talks about the way that we perceive art and how the way that we perceive art, like how that can tell us things about the way that we kind of see the world. And one of the things about his, his, one of the things in ways of seeing is he talks about context and how context clues can change really change the way that you perceive um you know the things that you look at and i immediately went back to Leggetti and all of those really um breathtaking shots of those dilapidated buildings and like the wreckage from what i'm assuming is world war 2 um france in world war 2 those bombed out buildings and the rubble and all this other stuff but presented with the context that we get it in Le Genie, with the idea that it's World War III, you just kind of, you don't, you just play along with it. You know what I mean? You just, you just go with it. Um, obviously, he didn't, he didn't blow up a bunch of France to take a bunch of pictures of it so he could make a 28-minute short film. He's using other things. It's almost collage-like, you know what I mean? Are you sure? I'm, I'm, ass- I'm assuming he didn't, but pretty, I suppose you can, we can awesome. never know. Um, I'm actually also not 100% sure what those pictures are from. Those pictures could be from anything. I just know they're not from, like, 1963. They're not fresh pictures that he just took um, to make this movie. It's it's They're inserted there in context, and it changes our perception of what those pictures are. This goes further a couple years later when I really got into uh, the writing of Jeff Dyer, who we've talked about on this um, podcast a bunch in regards to Stalker. Um, he wrote a book called The Ongoing Moment and it's all about photography and again this that book brought me right back here where and the book he posits that there's like he 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 analyzes photography from these these different categories these fairly arbitrary categories of 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 pictures so like Blind people, or people in pain, standing on the streets it doesn't really make any difference. The point is that, like all of these pictures, are are inextric- inextricably linked by their, um, by essentially the fact that they're they're pictures and their subject matter, and that the ongoing moment is kind of the fact that you can have a picture taken of a blind guy in nineteen whatever, and a picture taken of a blind guy many years later, and it's essentially because of the linearity of of life. And because of like people have stopped to to grab these moments, it's almost like the moment never stopped happening. You know what I mean it's almost like it's the same moment, and for me, this is so it just i like I spent another like a week or so just kind of digging into this movie um you know when they they they're in the museum remember the the scene when they're in the museum and it kind of it says um, you know they just kind of walk through. The museum, and, and there's, there's, there's things stuck in time, you know what I mean? There's, like, ageless things. There's birds that are just stuck in flight, and these people are just standing. They're not moving. They're also stuck in time. They're frozen in these pictures. Um, but time, obviously, has passed, you know what I mean? Like, it starts one place, and then it goes almost to infinity, you know what I mean? To where the people... um have weird fist medallions on their heads and looks like it has pennies on their heads and you know it's it's everything's in black and white and it's just um well everything's black and white the whole thing but like those people we only see their faces we don't even get to see like in um the present time we get to see that hammock we get to see a kind of metropolis like underground like sewer system that they're that they are in we get to see um a little bit of the the apparatus for the experiment which you're using, which I mean, just looks like a kind of sleep mask with paper clips taped to it and like wires coming out of it. It's just so great. I love the fact that they didn't try to make it look like like a Terry Gilliam would do in in um, Twelve Monkeys and like have all this shit all over the place. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like here's this really simple thing, and you're either going to buy it or you're not going to buy it because in they the just end, had these Doctor
2: Frankenstein novels. Yeah,
1: that's it. That's all they had. Um and, that, and you know, he was using, like, the pictures to kind of show evil and stuff like this. Um, it just really fucking sticks with me. The idea that, like, these things are in your head forever. Like, they're just a part of your life. Um, you can't get rid of them. And, and to that end, when I first saw this movie, I was so taken with it. Um, I was playing in a very famous band at the time called the Joiner Inners. Um, and... I didn't have any kids yet. This was 2007. I didn't have any kids. No one in the band had any kids. The the oft mentioned JP was the, was the drummer in there. He had just gotten married. I wasn't even married yet. Um. You know, we would just go to the, our buddy Andrew's house every like a couple times a week, and we would get a couple thirty racks of Paps, and we would just play the greatest rock and roll music that anyone had ever heard we assumed um and there was a there was a uh, an electrical box down there and it was and it was just said federal station on it i don't know why it said federal station but it did and they had a song they had called it federal station and it had no words and i wrote words to it and i just wrote it about this idea you know what i mean that like Because at the time it was like the most important thing. It was like the best thing in my life. Um, And that could be bad. And it was just so, it was just, it was just the best. And I just assumed that like all this, if all this stuff goes away one day, like I would just kind of focus on this federal station box. This is what happens in the song. And I could just go back to playing in this band in this really fucking hot basement, hotter than it is in here. Um, with way more, with may, way more cans of, of paps and shavers laying around, I guarantee you. Um, just just playing fucking music, man. And that's, and that's... The beauty of La Jetty for me is all in that idea of memory. You know what I mean? Like, um... The narrator says at one point, nothing tells memories from ordinary moments. Uh, only afterwards do they claim remembrance on account of their scars. Um you know what i mean and it's it's scars are 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 i think there's a connotation that they're always bad but i think there's also just the knowledge that it's just something that you're just going to live with forever you know what i mean it's a mark that you're always going to have um and but like the beauty of that is that you're going to be able to kind of reconsider it you're going to be able to recontextualize it and i think that's what is going on here with the guy going to meet that woman like over and over and over again and but like her life keeps going on but he keeps joining in at various intervals and she just kind of has to accept it. So he, they both the have... ghost. Yeah, they both have to kind of confront that recontextualization every time he just shows up in her life. Um, It's just, it's like an, it's an endlessly fascinating movie especially for one that's told all in pictures and is 28 minutes long. And some of that... 28 minutes is credits and a shot of a, of a, of a peer. I don't know. That's, I mean, I just, I just, I find it so fascinating. I find the aspect,
2: I I find this eminently interesting as well, but, but for (laughs) the reasons by which you say it's not interesting, (laughs) um, which is, which is the story. Oh yeah. And, uh, and and the, the narrative structure of it all. Um, I'd seen there's a there's another film very similar to it comes out in uh, 1971 also a short feature by Hollis Frampton mm-hmm. nostalgia I don't know if you've ever seen that Mm-mm. um literally just pictures on a burner being slowly burned from mm-hmm. Hollis Frampton's life well mm-hmm. something narrates like the awesome. temporality of mer- memory and and you know the it's extremely avant-garde but it's 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 just about you know, those fragments, those those memories lost. And this this does that too. You know, like like the idea of presenting images uh-huh. and this predates it is is about the the how images or what you see might necessarily be true or how you narrate or the narratives or you should say, I should say you create around it, um are created by the present you. You uh-huh. know, like that's when he talks about like the mind of the people breaking because they can no longer accept like it is the um He has, as he says, um, to wake up in another age, meant to be born again as an adult. The shock would be too great. Mm -hmm. You know, the the present self seeing these past images would take those images, would take those moments with the knowledge of the future, not necessarily what would come, but Mm. but the maturity of the future, and and the memories of of what those moments were, and how incorrect that would Mm -hmm. would be an existential just destruction yeah and you know like french existentialism is a part of this movement and that's interesting and it works but for me it's the fact that this film and and the the entire text of the film is is written out Uh uh-huh is just a magnificent short story you don't need even need the images the images help The images really work to tell the narrative, especially during the museum scene, Mm -hmm. where um, you know there's that long span of like three or four minute minutes um, where you don't.
1: There's no narration. There's no narration. You know, it's just like the
2: excitement made him forget for a moment that the meeting in the museum had has been the last. Um, You know, but then it's kind of like you know just music and narrating that that doesn't you know necessarily carry over. But everything else, the the narrator. That Gene uh, Negroni narration is just such a perfect short story. And I think even G.J. Ballard, you know, the, mm, the science fiction yeah, yeah. writer, High Rise. Um, what else did he do? did Crash. He did... Um... Crash, um, The Drowned World. Yeah, yeah. Like um, called it, you know, called it a significant piece of science fiction because it's such a good science fiction story. Mm-hmm. Just putting this story on paper and selling it as such is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and the inspiration it's had, um, you know... On 12 Monkeys, you know, um, 12 Monkeys is, is written by, um, David and Janet Peoples, uh, David Peoples, um, wrote Blade Runner, you know, and you mm. get that, that, that fractured idea of memories, mm-hmm. you know, in that, you know, and, and, 12 Monkeys is 100% a love letter through and through to, um, to Lodge that Day and, and, you know, just the influence it has on modern science fiction this is this isn't a penultimate like just the, the ultimate kind of science fiction and i'm pissed i didn't know about it until <laughs> now um and reading just more about it i found out that it was commonly presented as a double bill with, with. a movie i've always really liked because it's a really solid piece of minimalist science fiction mm-hmm. um being uh, jean-luc godard's alphaville
1: Mm. I didn't know that. That's yeah, interesting. It
2: was often presented as a as a double feature with that. And so like those two films together, mm. can you imagine that? Just like so minimalist science fiction with such high ideas. You know, you get the the Orwellian newspeak
1: Wait, yeah, prevalent because...
2: throughout Alphaville. And Alphaville would go on to influence things like Dark City, mm-hmm. which is a movie that I still wonder why I didn't make my list. I just, we've talked about this before. I, for some reason, I couldn't justify putting Dark City on my list. But with as much as I talk about it, maybe I made a mistake there. Um, you know and, and just those two together I'm a big like the, the entire idea of, of the manipulation of time the the manipulation of memory right. um, is such a prevalent aspect of, of my interest in science fiction I'm not typically a big science fiction guy right. these films so I ideally capture that by not even using sets right. not even using the supposition or the the, 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 the the presumptions, I should say. The presumption uh, of creating grandiose sets, of creating uh, you know, the Ridley Scott Blade Runner set. Uh, the or even like the Solaris set, stuff. The Solaris. Yeah. Or you know, even something like High Life, which we talked about even just being a, a set itself. You can right. see it's very obviously a set, but still has some sort of um, visual aspect to it. Alphaville doesn't use sets. Alphaville literally just used an electric company building in order the, to look futuristic. Yeah, the brilliance this, of
1: those movies is, of these movies that they think of... They're considering the consequences of of the science fiction before they like design the like the sets. You know what I mean? They're and, not like they're not building the idea around like some grand vision of what it's going to look like. They're building what it's going to look like around the what's n- needed to convey an idea, which is just in in uh, legiti is just. You know, like I said, a sleep mask with paper clips and wires it looks like you know what I mean, and a in a, a a kind of wooden hammock structure and some pain as as much pained faces as you can make that 's what you need to do science fiction properly
2: um i think I think that's the thing I, uh, we talked you know co- contrasting with something like midsummer and, and what horror needs. horror is about viscerality, hmm. horror is about the the images and the manipulation of the images or the manipulation of editing. Um, And to me, science fiction is is the composite of that, where science fiction is story first. Uh, Science fiction is drawn by by what you're doing narratively. Mm -hmm. Like, you're creating a lot of these high concepts, but you're doing that best based upon the story you're telling. One of my favorite and just most horrific um, science fiction horror short stories is uh, Harlan Ellison's I Have No Mouth and Mm -hmm. I Must Scream. Terrifying story. story um but that just takes place in this endless sort of complex mm-hmm. you know there, there's no no sort of a new, uh you know nothing intricate about it you know it's just a supercomputer torturing these people endlessly um yeah you know, there's not much to it
1: i like how you just described it a supercomputer torturing these people endlessly
2: and that's all that's what it's about um you know science uh, science fiction's best when it's when it reduces that mm-hmm. you know and this La Jeté, like as i said works without the images you know it is it is a brilliant piece of science fiction when you even remove the thrills of, the thrills of it and the thrills work to, to a great extent in terms of uh, of selling the emotional affect of the relationship between the man and the woman um, the, the, the glorious shot of, of when he gets shot and kind of like him throwing his back. Yeah,
1: you know, oh, which is great.
2: absolutely 100% emulated with, with you know Bruce Willis when he gets shot. He throws yeah, his yeah, back yeah. out in the same way. And, and it works to add to the horror of it. But the horror of that is, is sold with, you know, he understood there was no way to escape time and that this moment he had been grand to watch as a child, which had never ceased to obsess him, was the moment of his own death. Like that in itself is the chillingness. Like the images help to create a, a dual layered kind of horror to it or, or, or
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, so it goes sort of Billy Pilgrim cyclic nature to it all. Yeah. But um, it on of itself it, it has its written is it works. It conveys all those emotions.
1: But I think it's interesting that it's doing its job in the exact manner that it is doing its job in me, in the sense that, like, I've held on to some of the... I can go back to it because of some of those images. Yeah, you know no, I mean? no, I'm not, not, oh, not screaming I'm the images at oh, all. Oh, no, I don't think yeah. you are. I just think it's, like, it's, like, a weirdly fascinating, I think like, that's 20 pe- minute piece of filmmaking, where it's just, it's, all, like, a, so many of these things are just here. But and that's he a sign of an doing. exceptional film, right? Yeah.
2: An exceptional film when it, you know, <laughs> the only thing that doesn't work is maybe it's, it's shot composition in the sense of moving a camera because yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to. But actually, no, even the shot composition works. It's the picture composition, you know. But um, that, the sign of a great film is something that can't, you know, of, of a near perfect film. I'd call this a near perfect film. is something that can't. I mean, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like a 28-minute French experimental. Science well, because had talked about, like, like oh, analysis. we're not going
1: to do short, like, you yeah. had assumed we weren't doing short movies. I was like, I kind of can't make my list without putting this movie on it. Like, You could have told me. I could put I mean, had an Well, you just did your list, and I just piggybacked off your list. without yeah. I, You For, were just like, were I made short a movie list of 100 there. movies, and I was like, oh, I'm going to make my list of 100 movies. Um,
2: but no, the sign of, of a truly perfect film is something that can that 100 people can look at and come away with 100 different things. And mm-hmm. this is that type of film. mm mm-hmm. I think you could come away with a hundred different. Things. I think you could come away with being mesmerized by the performances that are done in still images. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just a fantastic piece,
1: mm.
2: and should be watching the double bill of Alphaville.
1: Alpha yeah, do that, do that, Have you and, seen and yeah, yeah. yeah. Alpha
2: and good. it's on the um, Alphaville on Criterion Channel. I don't think it's not on Criterion. it's, so, it's a
1: Criterion. Th- film, it's a film, criter- but I don't know if it's on the channel. I haven't I haven't checked. Yeah, I'll look and see if Alphaville's on
2: it. Um, La is not on it. It is. it is.
1: Is it on the yep. Criterion channel? No. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also on YouTube. <laughs> it is on YouTube a, on a, a number of times. Yeah. With English stuff. <laughs> um,
2: I watched it on YouTube. I didn't realize it was on the Criterion channel.
1: No, I was going to watch it on YouTube until I realized it was on the Criterion channel. So. I, I, I looked like
2: last week and I didn't see it. Mm-hmm, it's there.
1: I watched it on the Criterion channel.
2: Did they just add it? I don't know. Why, do I, why can't I find the search? Well, because it says search I usually look for it. <laughs> no, there's just a interview with with La Jeté on the Criterion Channel.
1: I watched it there. If you go on the thing, it's unless they put it on for a day and then pulled it off. What's it Chris Chris Marker, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh Criterion. You need to work on your search features.
1: Wow, wow. You need
2: the accent uh, agoo in order to find search it. If you just type in La Jetée, uh-huh. it only gives you an interview with a woman on La Jetée. But if you type in, without the accent goo, but if you type in Chris Marker, second thing there, La Jetée. A lot of Chris Marker movies on here too. I hope you're set. Soleil, Sunday in Peking. From Siberia, Junkopia.
1: Yeah, that's weird. Alphaville is
2: not on the Criterion channel.
1: It's not? No.
2: Weird. So to, to, so, to conclude, I guess, Criterion channel, work on your search features, guys.
1: <clears throat> uh, yes, I mean, they have that problem too with. Um, one thing I don't like about the Criterion website is that they have um, all of their you know they have all the movies listed by spine number but not necessarily when they were released and i think that's probably become very difficult because they've they been released a bunch of agnes now multiple varda times movies. Are these new no they've been there forever because they just released an agnes varda collection Is that like a new? year no maybe a year ago year and a half ago
2: when I, I bet you when i look up agnes varda Oh no, that's
1: that's that's my bad if you have any other questions about how Criterion Channel works, um, you can ask Tom. Apparently, because <laughs> I cannot use the search feature. Um, you can uh, email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can take a picture of yourself um, doing it right and you can post it to um, Twitter to the Twitter dot com slash
2: film pivotal. Yeah. I'm much better at that when I've drank. Remembering that it's backwards. I'm very confused by the not drinking. Yeah. Um, or you can go to. Pivotal I'm Film. not sure I can drive. <laughs> Just
1: be swerving. I don't drive. I don't
2: drive when I drink. Guys, don't don't do that. We would not listen. That's the fourth one. Drunk drivers can't give us opinions either. Yeah, agreed. Unless you stop drunk drunk driving and right. won't tell us how you don't. Do you
1: anything. also uh, the fifth one should be if you are driving while looking at our website pivotalfilm.com. Um, unless you pulled over. Unless you pulled over, you just really need to see what the list is. <laughs> no, what, what beer we drank, which is, which is I Defin- be sad to see this root beer today. Definitely
2: tweet us if, if you've done that, though, because i just been curious to yeah, why you need to pull stopped over. stopped
1: your life to look, <laughs> to look at our website. Read <laughs> we definitely want to hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, until that happens, uh, go see a movie, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week.